In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story. And that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Early this week, I had the opportunity to go to Alpharetta, Georgia, uh, just north of Atlanta. Uh, the SEND Network, who has helped facilitate the planting of Mercy Village Church. It's a network of, of church planters. Uh, they hosted a gathering there. There were 165 folks there who are part in the last two to three years of seeing a new work started across North America and Puerto Rico. 165 new churches that are in the, either in the process of building a core team or have already recently uh, opened up across North America, the most diverse group of people you could ever imagine. Uh, Close to half of the people there were Spanish speakers who are planting churches in Spanish communities or uh, communities where Spanish is a a primary language. Uh, People from every tribe and tongue and nation, quite frankly. There's a guy from Rwanda planting a church in Austin, Texas. There was a guy from Haiti planting a church in Miami. The diverse and beautiful group of people. But what I noticed in connection to our our sermon today was the team of people that were in charge of this event. Because that's a lot of people to mobilize. And they were there at the airport. There were people there at the airport welcoming us. And there were people driving uh, buses and vans for transportation. And there were people in charge of making sure that the snacks and stuff were there. And, and they had people serving coffee. And they had people who were speaking and people who were doing music. They had people doing everything that you could imagine. It was an excellently put on event. But everybody had a role. Every single person that was on that team that welcomed us so hospitably and kindly had a role. And all of those roles were essential and they were together for the same purpose in that kind of like a a sports team right everybody has a role a lot of teams especially in the professional levels will have trouble when people aren't willing to accept their role on a team everybody has a role but unlike sports right because there's a bench take to take it from me there's a bench in sports I know that and those people sit on the bench, and they have a role, but it, it, not really in the game. Their roles may be in practice or something. They don't really have a role in the game. It's maybe to cheer. If you sit the bench, I'm sorry. If I'm in, you're, None of your kids are in here. I know they should see their role on the bench. is very valuable. But there's no bench in the kingdom of God. There isn't. There are no bench players in the kingdom of God. Everyone is in the game. Everyone has... A role. And so this week, as we look at gospel ministry, last week we looked at gospel unity. This week we look at gospel ministry. They're closely tied together, by the way. When you have a, a group of people as wild, wildly diverse as the, the church is designed to be, every tribe and tongue and nation, every uh, financial demographic, political differences, all that stuff coming together in this this just absolutely a radical looking community. There's diversity there, but there's also diversity in roles. And there's some who will do A, there's some who will do B, there's some who will do C. There can be divisions, 
when you have that much diversity. That's why unity, last week, that's why that matters so deeply. But this week he talks about the diversity of the ministry that is in front of us. But the the main thing that we'll see today is kind of, there's two parts to it. This is the main takeaway. Our ability to contribute to the kingdom of God is a gift from God that we give back to God. That's part one. What we give to the church, what we give to the, you know, I know it's a buzzword, but what we give to the kingdom of God has been given to us by God. We're just giving it back to Him. And then the second piece of that is that this gospel ministry, this church, the work of the Great Commission, if you're familiar with that, the the work of the kingdom, it belongs to all the members of the body of Christ. Not just a few of us. All of us. So Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please teach. Make us and what we have not, please give us. Paul's going to walk us through gospel ministry. He's going to answer who is responsible for gospel ministry, what it is that those people are doing in relation to gospel ministry, when or how long they're to do that, and why they do that. We're going to see all of that uh, flow out of this passage. And then we're going to go back. I'm not skipping verses 7 through 10. We're going to come back to them at the end. We're going to see the answer to the question as to where our ability, which has already been answered. We already know that, but we're going to see it more distinctly. Where our ability to minister in the church and in the kingdom of God, where that comes from. We start in verse 11 with the answer for who does gospel ministry. Paul says, and he gave the apostles, that's, that's God and his grace, gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gives five titles of people who do gospel ministry. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list yet, but this is the first list he gives. Now, according to the context of Ephesians, apostles and prophets has a very specific meaning. He's already talked about them earlier in the book. What he means by them in the book of Ephesians, and those Those words get defined a little bit differently throughout Scripture. But here in this book, what they mean are people who were uh, who helped to write the New Testament. There were apostles, uh, those who were they had that official title, anywhere from 12 to 14 of them, roughly, depending on who's counting apostles. And so they are the official. They get a capital A apostle title. They help write Scripture. They saw Jesus dead, buried, resurrected. For Paul, it actually came when uh, Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. Paul was an apostle. And then there's prophets, those who didn't have the title of apostle but still got to write Scripture. Like, Like Mark, for instance, writes the Gospel of Mark. He's not an apostle. But he writes the book of Mark. He's he's a prophet. So those folks in the New Testament who helped us have scripture, helped us the church be formed from the ground up, are apostles and prophets. Obviously, they're not with us anymore. But that role is still played in the church through the word of God. So the apostles and the prophets still influence the church through the Bible. They're still here with us in the word of God. So there's apostles, there's prophets, there's evangelists. This word, generally speaking, is for people who are really excited about proclaiming the gospel, right? Not just giving out tracts at toll booths. That can be kind of weird, maybe not work out very well. But they're actually excited about talking to people about Jesus and the truth of the gospel. But also underneath that word is this idea of starting new works. 
A lot of scholars put church planter in that bucket. People who go and start new works, new churches. Okay? So if you've been with us for a while, you've heard me say that that's, that's all of us who are participating in what's happening at Mercy Village Church. You're part of this work. Now, Josh Early, myself, we've had this on our hearts for eight years plus. So God put that on our hearts with ten, almost ten years now. So there, there might have been like, we might be like at the tip of the spear, if you will, and our family's with us of kind of with the dream of seeing this new work started here. But all of you are with us in that, who are participating in this, in this work. And then there's shepherds. That is actually a pastor. And there's three words get used interchangeably in, in the New Testament. Pastor, elder, shepherd. That is a specific role. Those who are called by God and qualified according to what Scripture says a pastor is to be and have been installed into a church as pastors. Those are pastors. You have two of them. Pastor Josh and myself. Lord willing, there'll be more raised up from among us to help us lead and pastor this church. And then there's teachers. Those are leaders who are, who are teaching in the church. That's who God has given to us. Now, pastors are called to be teachers. That's part of the qualification. But not all teachers are pastors, right? There's teaching happening on the other side of that wall right now. Faith and Josh have helped instrument a kids class, and then many of you have volunteered to participate in leading it teaching. Jerrica taught us. As we sang together, she led us. She taught us today. She's a teacher. Carolyn Canini leads a community group. Josh Early leads a community group. Jeremiah Stafford leads a community group. They are teaching us. Okay, so teachers, right, are, are not just pastors. There are all types of, uh, all kinds of us who are helping to teach within the church. But verse 12 makes this even more interesting. Because up till now, right, hopefully you're our, some of our Appalachian categories are getting kind of, pushed back against like you'll be in some churches where there's the pastor and that's who does ministry right like he's the minister and then maybe you're in other churches where uh where the emphasis is not just on the pastor but it's on the pastors and the other leaders they're the ones who do ministry but paul's going to blow that up it doesn't stop with some org chart and once you get down to a certain level in the church then nobody else is responsible for for ministry because in verse 12 he expands Kind of he goes, who, what, who, what? He says the who, as in apostles, prophets, uh, pastors, evangelists, and teachers, they, verse 12, equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. But look what he's done there. He's told us what those leaders do. They're equippers. We equip the body of Christ. We equip the saints. That's our job. That word has to do with fully furnishing something. Making something uh, fully qualified to do what it's called to do. So, you, you could grade us on that. Maybe we don't have the highest grade yet, but we're, we're trying our best. We're continuing to work on that. That is our goal. That is the blood earnest desire of our heart to see the people of Mercy Village Church be equipped. To be built up. To be fully qualified to walk with Jesus in His steps. There's another great part to that word there too, right? If you're kind of, if you're getting nerdy about the word equip, I didn't know this till this week, right? So the word equip used to be pronounced uh, E-S 
C-H-I-P-E-R, e-shipper. It came out of the boating, the world of boating businesses, right? So equipping comes from this idea of outfitting a ship. We have a, a sign over there that has our mission statement. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. When we talk about that word renewal, we want this church to be a place of renewal like a harbor. A ship comes into a harbor, battered, broken, bruised from the storms and from from the, the life at sea and in the harbor, renewed, outfitted, repaired, built back together, reestablished and ready to go back out into the to the world. We want this to be that that type of place. And so hopefully your leaders are are doing that. And the who that is equipped is the saints. But now you see what the saints are supposed to do, right? That's in there, too. We all are responsible for the work. So the saints are equipped for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. All the members of the body of Christ own the work of the ministry. There's a statistic that says 80, 80% of the, the ministry of a church is done by 20% of the people. That may be true, but that's not God's design. 100% of the ministry by God's design should be done by 100% of the church. It is for everyone who is a part of a church to do the work of the ministry, service, provision, contribution, building one another up. We're all role players in the kingdom of God. Nobody more important than the other. All of us essential in our roles in the kingdom for the building up of the body of Christ. The body builds up the body. For me, if there was one thing you left here with, it would be this reality. I do feel like this gets lost oftentimes. I, it was lost on me coming up in church. I always thought that the people on the stage were the most important people in the ministry of the church. And that's just not true. First Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. First Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. This is to the whole church. A royal priesthood. Priests were the ones who served in the temple, right? That would have, in the Old Testament, been reserved for just certain people. But, but now he says all of us, the people of God, were a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That belongs to all of us. Later in that same uh, book, cha- uh, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each of you, all of you, if you're a Christian here today, this verse is about you. As you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Our gifts aren't the same. They're varied, but we all have them. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him, him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The ministry of the gospel belongs to each of you. Every single one of you owns that calling if you are a true child of God. The work of the church belongs to us all. That's been true for Mercy Village Church from the start, by the way. I'm at this conference 165 other church planters they all ask you your story what's going on 
How's it going? You know, usually on the back end of them telling you their story. Shocker, everybody there likes to talk. <laughs> so they tell you their story and then they ask you there. And their stories are full of late nights, hard work, feeling isolated and alone. And by the time they finish their story, I feel super sheepish. Because the story I tell them is it's the most hands-off I've ever been in my entire time as a pastor. This is the easiest it has ever been for me to be a pastor. It's because of you guys. Because you guys have taken ownership of this reality. People like Corey Weaver, who was the third person to do it, by the way, he just got me at the right time, come up and say, stop doing slides, I'm going to do it. And rip it out of my hands and take it. Because you take ownership. of The fact that you guys are ministers of the gospel. That's just the most recent example. That's, that's been the story of this church plant. People rolling in saying, I'm not sure what I'm going to but, but then just jumping in and doing stuff. It's beautiful. Like that always be the testament of, of, of Mercy Village Church. So that's the who and the what. We all are the who. All of us. And what we're called to is to build up one another and to build up the church. The ministry of the gospel belongs to all of us. And then for how long? When? Paul answers that question, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, read womanhood there as well, just maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's already not yet there. If you read that verse, you can say some of that stuff is happening already. God's doing it. But but it's talked about as if it's perfectly done. What that means is this work of gospel ministry belongs to all of us to the end. When Jesus returns the consummation of all things and sets all wrongs to right, then the work is over. And the party begins. But until then, the work continues in the service of of the mission. But the, the good news there is that there's a promise attached to that. That the work of the gospel will be completed and it doesn't have to be our strength that does it. If you go to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, this is, the, this is the love chapter where he talks all about if I speak in the tongues of men and angels. In verse 12 he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known, the knowledge, complete knowledge that, that Paul talked about in verse 14 or, or verse 13 will come. And the end is promised. If you go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, you'll read these words. For I am sure, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Christ. The point is this. Yes, this is our job forever, the work of the ministry, but it is promised that it will be fulfilled by the strength of another. Jesus is the one who pulls it off. And so what that means is that today you can minister in the church. You can work for the sake of the gospel. You can do hard things for the sake of Mercy Village Church or wherever you call your home church. You can do uh, uh, more than what you think you have inside of you to do, knowing that it's accomplished in the work of another. And you don't have to do it out of 
guilt or shame or even necessity, but instead you can minister out of grace and opportunity and joy. Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, why did he carry the cross and take the whip on his back and the beard ripped out of his face? Why did he endure that? For the joy set before him. And I didn't tell Corey to put this in there, but Paul uses that as the leverage coming out of verse 1. He says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race set before us looking to Jesus. That work of gospel ministry that we're called to, whether that's showing up and working on a hospitality team, whether that's leading a community group, whether that's helping with an outreach event, whether that's just you individually sharing the gospel with your neighbors or, or growing as a parent or a spouse or whatever it is, all of that work that is ours forever, empowered by God, is an opportunity for joy. It's an opportunity for satisfaction. It's an opportunity for peace. And it's a forever opportunity. So who? All of us called to ministry. What? Building up the body of Christ. When? For all our days. And the last question is why? Why do the work of ministry? And he answers that in four parts in verses 14 through 16. Verse 14, he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. One of the reasons the work of the ministry matters is so that we're not tossed around, that we can stand firm on the truth. Not your truth. Not culture's truth. Not your political party's truth. Not the truths of your family traditions, but the truth of God's Word. The truth about Jesus. That's why we build one another up. That's why the Bible is at the center of, of all that we do. Why Jesus is at the center of all that we do because this is where we come for truth. We want God's truth. And we want to stand firm in that truth. But verse 15 guards us a little bit. Because if you've been around people who value truth, claim they do, sometimes they're a little bit uh, pious, rude, mean. No, you're wrong. My favorite's the the grammar police, right? Like they just, you know, they're helping all of us on uh, social media by correcting, I put there instead of there, and they must tell me about this. It's very important, right? But So, like, they're right. That's the thing. They're right. Paul says, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. Right? If you're going to be a church that values unity, but also a church that values the truth, then there better be a whole lot of love in there, Right? Because you're going to have to confront people sometimes with the truth. And you can be a jerk. But if you're a jerk, you're walking out of step with the very truth that you're confronting them with. Because the very truth you're confronting them says you better do it in love. Compassion, kindness, gentleness, right? Truth's already hard enough. Let alone bringing a, bringing a, a sledgehammer to the party. Bringing the truth is enough. Bring it in love, kindness, gentleness. Speaking the truth in 
love. You want to practice this, by the way? Start with the people you love the most. You're probably meanest to them, right? Some of y'all are snickering because it's probably, I mean, it's true, right? Who gets the brunt of you? It's your kids or your parents or your spouse or, you know, somebody that's a close friend. They get the brunt of it. They see the worst of you, right? If you, yeah, calm down. Try, if, we, if we're going to, right, speak the truth in love, the best practice field, right, is going to be with those who are closest to us. So try practicing that this week. Remember, that work of the ministry, though, is empowered by God, not you. Don't bring your own strength into that. Trust God for that strength. Number three, that we would become like Jesus. The second half of verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We've talked about this for weeks. Christ likeness is the goal. Walking in the steps of Jesus is the goal. That's what we are. That we would be glimpses of Jesus everywhere we go. That when people wonder what Jesus looks like at our places of work, they'd say it looks like him. It looks like her. Jesus looks like them. That our kids... Jesus looks like them, that our neighbors, Jesus looks like them, right? That's the, the goal. Only God can pull that off inside of us. And then lastly, that we'd be healthy. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, working healthily, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The sign of health, by the way, right? Like it, it, it's, you know, that the, the 97.5 or 98.5 degree, right? Temperature reading is love for the body of Christ. The body of Christ is healthy when the checkup says love. When love is what the readout is, the body of Christ is, is being healthy, growing in all of its parts. Might we be that? So that's a big calling, okay? I stink at it, and I'm the pastor of the church. I'm the one everybody's like... Like, if anybody has it together, it should be the pastor. Well, too bad. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, right? I'm still working on it, too. It's an impossible calling. But the good news comes in, in, in the answer to this question. Where does gospel ministry come from? And this is quick. These verses are complex, but we're just going to cut to the simplicity of them. If you go back to verse 7, Paul says, But grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. That one's easy, Right? What the grace that is at work in you to be this person, this minister of the gospel, right? Who's building up other people, speaking the truth in love, right? This place becomes like this place of health and, and thriving. And when you come here, you leave feeling refreshed and revived and built up. Yes, confronted sometimes. Yes, having to deal with the truth sometimes, but done in a way that that is gentle and, and lowly and good for your soul, right? If this is to be that that place, then it won't come from us. It has to be poured out upon us, right, by someone else. The grace was given to each of us according to the measure of our own ability. No, Christ's gift. And he gave all of himself. And he is the very fullness of God. And he is all that we need and beyond. So that's where this comes from. But then it gets a little weird because in, in verse 8 he says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth, 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. <laughs> what does that mean? Okay, here's the point. They're, they're, he's talking about Jesus descending to earth, right? That's what he means by lower regions and then ascending back to heaven. And it gets its fullest meaning when you go back to Psalm chapter 68, because that's what he's quoting. Chom, Psalm, Chom. It's a new book in the Bible. Psalm 68, verse 18. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, that's what Paul quoted, but he tweaked it just a little bit so that we could learn two things. First is this. Jesus is victorious, okay? The victory belongs to Jesus. That's the symbolism behind this marching back up the hill. So Jesus comes, lives, dies on the cross, is raised from the dead, victorious over sin. And as he leaves, he takes all these captives with him. We're still following him. Captive to sin, set free by the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and the train of his robe, this victorious King Jesus, as he ascends back to heaven, right, he takes his kids with him. Over thousands and thousands of years, we're following him to glory. And the train of his victorious road, right? You talk about riding in on somebody's coattails. That's what we're doing. We're getting into heaven on the coattails of King Jesus. And when he takes us there, right? The one thing Paul tweaks, if you read the psalm, it says receiving gifts among men. So all these captives, as they're being led back to to glory and the victory of Jesus are giving gifts to Jesus. But Paul switches it around. He says he gave the gifts to men. Again, pointing us to this. Anything that we give back to Jesus, he has given to us. Santa's workshop, right? At Village of Barbersville Elementary School. We give our kids money every Christmas season for Santa's workshop. And they take that money and they trade that money in for stuff that is worth infinitely less than the money we gave them, right? And they bring that stuff back to us and then they give it to us for Christmas. It's in these, I mean, even the bags, it's like in these little green bags and you open it up and it melts my heart every single time. It does. They've taken the gift, they've devalued the gift. And they've given back the gift. Isn't that what we're doing? God has given us so much. And on top of that, skills and talents and gifts that we have to offer the kingdom. And we butcher them with our selfishness sometimes. But as we give them back to God. Just like I am on Christmas morning with my kids looking at made in China, whatever. I'm excited. I'm happy. I rejoice. Infinitely more your father will do. Anything we have to give back has been given to us by him. It's all grace. Verse 7 again. But grace was given to each of each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Everything we give back to God is his gift to us. But if you're not a Christian, good news. You can get in on this today because there is a gift for you. It was Jesus. I'm going to share the gospel as explicitly as I've shared it. I want you to hear it today. I've been praying all week that 
that maybe there's someone in this place today that's, that's not a Christian. Maybe you grew up thinking you are. Okay? Maybe you're not. The gospel goes like this, starting in Romans 3.23. Paul talks to the Romans about our sin. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's the first piece of the gospel. First piece of the gospel is you and me unable to save ourselves. For all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. That's us. Every single one of us are there in that place. And there's a cost for that. Romans 6.23 says this. For the wages of sin is death. That's eternal, right? Hellfire and brimstone, right? I'm going to start pounding the pulpit. I'm not. I'm not going to get into all that. No, you know, I guess didn't come to hear a hacking preacher. But that is the reality, right? According to the Bible, the wages, the payment for our sin is death, destruction. But the gift of God is eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross and on the cross took your punishment for sin, my punishment for sin. On the cross, He won the victory that you couldn't win and I couldn't win. On the cross, He purchased freedom that you couldn't purchase and I couldn't purchase. So we could be made right with God. That's the Gospel. And John 1.12 says anybody, absolutely anybody, to all who did receive Him, receive Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. I'm almost done, but just because you were raised in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Hear that today. Just because you're showing up here every Sunday doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is someone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, believing that that is enough to make them right with God. And if you're here today and, and you're thinking in your heart, well, I don't know if I've ever responded in faith to Jesus. Let's take care of that. You don't need to be ashamed of, of that, right? Like, well, what if everybody thinks I've been faking it for all this time? Who cares? Every single person in this room that belongs to Jesus is going to throw their hands up in the air and rejoice, man. And we'll get the horse trough out and we'll fill it with water. We haven't even bought one yet, but I'm looking for an excuse to buy one. And we'll dunk you in it. And you can come up out of that water and say, I belong to Jesus. Man. And I'll be a mess. I'll be weeping and Josh will be singing and it'll be beautiful. And you can invite your friends and your family and they'll all look and say, that's what it's like to follow Jesus. And maybe they'll follow Jesus too. Let's do it. Like if you have any question in your mind, like I don't know if I'm a Christian, talk to me. I want to talk to you about it today. I'll clear my schedule. We'll talk about it. Let's get it right. Let's take care of it. I'm serious. Man, he sounds mad. No, I'm happy. That's happy. That's happy, Paul. It sounds the same as mad, Paul, but that's happy, Paul. Make sure of that. Are you a Christian? I want you to be. If you are, two things. One, quick, identify your gifts and talents. Maybe write it down this week. Think about what you're good at, what God's made you good at. 
And then think about your spiritual gifts. That's another category, but the Bible says that God gives us gifts, abilities. When, when we're saved, when the Holy Spirit, uh, when he gives us the Holy Spirit, we have gifts. And I'll maybe try to post something about spiritual gifts and how you can think about spiritual gifts. But assess that this week. What is it that God has given you that you can then give back to the kingdom? And that's part two. Intentionally consider how you can give those things back to the kingdom of God. What will your role be? Not just at Mercy Village Church. This isn't like a ministry team recruitment sermon, right? Kids ministry is what you're good at, though. Hear me say that. That is your specialty, and that's where you should be. I'm just joking. But we, right, have roles here that need played, but this is not the kingdom of God only at Mercy Village Church. There are other things in your community and in your life and in your world that can be done. What are your gifts, your skills, your talents, and how will you intentionally invest them in the kingdom? Our ability to contribute to the kingdom of God is a gift from God. And we give that gift back to him. And this gospel ministry belongs to all the members of the body of Christ. Father, I I want us to believe that. I want to believe that with all my heart. That the legacy of of not just Mercy Village Church, but the church in this tri-state area and in and in America and in the world would be one of all the people of God taking ownership of the ministry of the kingdom. I didn't even get I didn't even say this. I, I was trying not to be long winded, but like at the ball field, might we be? Might we be people who look like Jesus and looking like Jesus? May that be a role that we play kingdom, whether we're coaching ball or sitting there hanging out with. Friends, while we're at work, may that be right. It doesn't have to. It's not just service on Sunday morning, but may our very lives, right? Parenting and being a husband, being a wife, being a neighbor, an employee, a, a son, a daughter, all of that. May it just be saturated with the realities of the gospel. May we see it all as ministry, every bit of it, right? As the opportunity to be ministers of the gospel. May that be our testimony. Be a church that just loves Jesus and loves to serve Jesus. Only you can pull that off in us. So it's in the name, the powerful name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.